Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're taking a look at Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. The movie was in theaters for one week only. And if you're listening to this episode, you missed it. I'm really sorry. I, that sounds silly. It's a real thing. And it'll be on Netflix in a month. So we're going to talk about it. Spoiler free. Not going to spoil anything. Uh, we're going to tiptoe. I, I'm not, you know, Andy, I don't know how we're going to talk about that movie without spoilers. But we're going to tiptoe around it. We'll keep it short if we got it. Because uh, yeah. it's worth talking about. <laughs> Uh, we're going to talk about this movie, Strange World, Disney has out. Uh, we're not actually talking about the film. We haven't seen it, <laughs> but we're going to talk about uh, some strange interactions it's had with the box office, a strange world indeed, and a number of interviews Andy's been doing about it around the country. It's it's a, it's a whole thing, believe it or not. Your boys are off script. It's right. Uh, our, your boys are off script. Get some media play, and Andy has been talking to folks about it. Uh, we're going to talk about Bones and All, the new Luca Guadagnino feature, a uh, horror romance. Sounds a little silly. It actually works, I promise. Stick around for the end of the show for that. Before we get to all of it, we need to talk about the news and our first story this week. Cinema stocks surge amid report that Amazon is planning a $1 billion theatrical push. Amazon is looking to get into the theater space. Oh, boy. Andy, hot takes. What's this about? Well, for a while, everyone was trying to get into the uh, streaming business quickly. Now everyone's trying to jump back into the, the theatrical business. Um, kind of ha how uh, audience going has changed in the last uh, couple of years, especially since the pandemic. Streaming surged, but now people are going out more. And Amazon's looking to, to make movies and get in the theater, especially with their new acquisition of MGM, which includes properties like uh, the James Bond franchise. MGM, uh, MGM, Amazon jumping into theaters is a little frightening for me. I don't know about anybody else out there, any of you listeners, but but uh, it's weird when a company that creates content is getting in the space of, of showing that content amongst others who aren't, right? There's a lot of uh, distributors who produce stuff like Warner Brothers and Universal and Disney even, but they have to go to theaters to make that content, like get to get that out in front of people. Now with streaming that line's a little more blurred, right, than it used to be 20 or 30 years ago. Now they can just publish stuff to Amazon Prime Video. They can put stuff on their own platform. People can see it at home. So jumping into the theater space isn't that strange. But even still, um, this is not some, something that's supposed to happen. Uh, there was actually a lot of uh, media law that I had to take at school, uh, which is silly that I took that. But uh, one of the things they covered was uh, studios not owning theaters. That that should not be a thing because then you can mm -hmm. shove out competition you can own everything that gets seen. I think it's a small idea now. I think it still has concerning implications uh, with Amazon's uh, particularly deep war chest. How's a company like Cinemark going to compete? You know, they could, they could do anything. They could, they could buy after theaters in America, or at least it feels like it. I, what do you think? They've definitely talked about buying their own chain, building their own chain, probably just buying something like AMC. That may run afoul of... Uh, you know that the that court case Universal United States v Universal from 1948, uh, but times have changed. Uh, the streaming has changed everything because that's essentially owning both production and distribution. Uh, so we'll kind of see how it goes. But it, it is kind of exciting to see what kind of films they'll they'll make, what size, what kind of budgets, what they'll, you know, because they have the, the, a lot of new IP. Um, we'll see what they push out. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of, I think, the upside. Nobody gets in the movie business to fail, right? Like, nobody gets in the theater business to show small films. Like, I imagine them going bigger, bolder. I think movies like Bond are meant to be seen in a theater. Frankly, I think movies like Netflix's Glass Onion are meant to be in a seen in a theater. So Amazon jumping into that, I think, is speaking towards a step up in quality. They did try this like a decade ago. That's what The Hollywood Reporter said uh, when Vice President Roy Price and creative development head Ted Hope were trying to get into the theater space with Amazon. Didn't really go anywhere, but uh, time will tell. Keep it on, keep it here on Offscript for more. Uh, Top Gun Maverick is coming back to theaters again, again, yet again. <laughs> How it, this movie was in theaters for like a year? It was, I mean, really <laughs> long run, crazy long run. Yeah, it came back over Labor Day. It came back over Halloween. It's coming back again <laughs> uh, during the Christmas season. Uh, it's the film that keeps on giving and keeps taking my money and everyone's money. It seems that Top Gun Maverick will be in theaters from December 2nd to December 15th, just shortly before it, it lands on uh, Paramount Plus, uh, where you can watch it there if you're if you're a premium subscriber. This is wild, and I was I was kind of excited about this. I was like, you know, let's get together. Or, I'm, let me think of someone that, who hasn't seen it 
and take them to a D-Box screening so they can get thrown ejected from the their seat as well. Right, yeah. yeah. Have, have your spinal column collapsed by the D-Box seats and the thrill of Top Gun Maverick. Uh, yeah, Top Gun coming to theaters I think is exciting. I know it was out forever. I love riffing on it. It's one of my favorite things about the movie is talking about how freaking long this movie in theaters because nobody paid attention, nobody noticed. And the fact that it's coming back, I think, will probably go unnoticed by a lot of the general public who saw the movie once and then never really thought about going to see it again. So they weren't checking their local showtimes. They weren't keeping up with the news like we do on this program. Uh, I think it'll be fun. Yeah, I, I was just thinking if I could get my dad to go see it with me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun kind time. Of a modern, like, it's a modern classic. It's like, you know, when Jurassic Park gets gets rescreened or jaws or the original star wars it's almost like that it's like people are going to go out and and see those classic films and this is kind of turned into one of those yeah it is a stunningly fun time at the movies especially all those live jet sequences if you haven't had the chance seriously uh december 2nd to december 15th please go see top gun maverick in theaters uh, a ringing endorsement from from your boys here at Offscript. we did review it on the show we reviewed the d-box experience on the show uh, one more funny thing before we move on to our next story. Uh, I was at uh, Best Buy the other day, and in their like Magnolia home theater area with all their screens, up, every single one of them was running Top Gun Maverick. It was great. <laughs> That's. I think we're gonna be seeing that movie around for a little while. You know, like it's it's got some real staying power. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> Our last story before we move on to Glass Onion at the box office this week: Black Panther Two rules. Strange World goes cold, and Glass Onion carves up the competition this is out of the hollywood reporter and we're going to talk about strange world's underperformance a little bit uh, between our reviews here like i said we haven't seen it yet but i do have some hot takes on glass onion andy what was going on at the box office this week well it was crazy because there were like five new <laughs> releases uh let's see there was knives out there was strange world there was bones and all those are just three that i can remember it will kind of forever again still <laughs> the fable still playing <laughs> the Fablemans. There we go. Wah, wah. Uh, oh, gosh. A, a lot of releases made for really crowded uh, box office. And Thanksgiving is uh, it's a really good time for the, th- the theaters. That's when things like Frozen, Frozen 2 uh, have come out. It's usually a big time for Disney. Uh, but Disney uh, struggled with Strange World, a film that I didn't... I think I watched half of a trailer for this, and I never saw a single promo in the theater which is strange considering like how many times I've had to watch the stupid Avatar trailer or how many times I had to watch the Top Gun Mavic trailer. Uh, just haven't seen a lot of marketing. And uh, that film has totally bombed, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. And, of course, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, is still uh, doing well. Won the weekend with an additional $60 million for uh, I think it's around $700 million globally. It's a hit. It's a hit. I don't believe it. Uh, I'm really surprised at a couple of things from this weekend. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend at the box office is a big deal. The busiest weekend in, 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 in box office g- general uh, annually is going to be Christmas weekend. Hard to believe, but it's true. And Thanksgiving is close behind that. Not only because of its seasonal association, but because, you know, it's a big weekend and a lot of big things like to come out. Netflix putting glass onion out for only a week was a really weird move. Um, it seemed like it did really well and it's difficult to define whether or not it did well because people were so excited to catch it again and it felt like a good follow-up to Knives Out and it felt uniquely fall, even though the setting is not fall in, not in Glass Onion. Uh, or is it just be, or did it do really well because, you know, people knew it was only in for a week and they had to just get in and see it when they could. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's a good theatrical experience. We're going to talk about it in a minute. Andy, what do you think? Absolutely. It's a fantastic movie that we're going to get into here, but it's it's um, it's um a shame that it's only playing in, that it only played in a handful of theaters and only for a week. Some people say that Netflix left a whole lot of money on on the table. We're going to get into that more during during the review. It did really well, and it, it would have been interested to see if, he, if it would have had a full wide release. It probably would have won the weekend, honestly. Yeah, I think it might have. I, even still, I'm glad Black Panther's doing well. Uh, on the other side of the coin, Disney's Strange World, crazy underperforming. I've got hot takes. Andy's got a lot of hot takes uh, on that, and we'll get into it. But the, the <laughs> last thing I did want to talk about was The Fablemans, right? Uh, the new Steven Spielberg. And Devotion picture. was that other one. And Devotion. Oh, God. Yeah. No, nobody. Devotion did not have Five. the Top Gun heat I think they were hoping for. Five releases in, in one week. 
ridiculous. Yeah, it's a, it's a big weekend at the movies, and the Fablemans is doing this slow Green Book roll like rollout, just like the movie Green Book that I don't think is working for it at all. And I uh, I think they need to shift gears with that and put it out wide and run a run a marketing campaign or something because it's just not there right now. Uh, with that, we should probably move off of Thanksgiving weekend and into the movies we saw over the weekend. Uh, I'm going to be taking the summary on this one, so please excuse my clumsy delivery. The first movie is uh, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. Mr. Prompt, I cannot overstate my gratitude to be here. When's the murder mystery start? So Glass Onion is a immediate follow-up to uh, Knives Out, set in the same universe, starring... One of the same characters uh, and a completely different ensemble of individuals. It is a modern whodunit. If you didn't see Knives Out, it is a simple story of uh, a detective, Benoit Blanc, who is hired to solve uh, the untimely murder of a mystery author uh, and, and, his, and the family that was at the party when it happened. Uh, Glass Onion is slightly different, different spin. Uh, Benoit Blanc is hired once again uh, to... And, Go travel with a ensemble of disruptors, in modern influencers, uh, people who have widely affected society by the things they say and do on the internet, in politics, on television, fashion magazines. Uh, and this this group of characters travels out to a, a remote, mysterious island owned by an eccentric billionaire, uh, Miles. I don't remember his last name. Played Braun. by the wonderful Edward Norton. Braun. Uh, <laughs> once once they arrive on the island uh they discover that that uh miles braun edward norton has hired them uh has, has invited them to be a part of a uh a murder mystery party uh where he will be murdered and they will all have to solve it and of course uh benoit blanc is involved in that as the world's greatest detective and he is uh invited to uh, look deeper and find out what's really going on in Glass Onion. Uh, the movie has a starring cast, uh, Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista, Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Jessica Henwick. Uh, uh, th- these are just the, the main characters, by the way. Uh, director Ryan Johnson pulls in a wonderful cast of uh, additional, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? Cameos? Cameos. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it's a phenomenally fun time at the movies, and I can't wait for you all to see it on Netflix if you haven't yet. The movie is Glass Onion. We're not going to get to spoilers. Andy, what'd you think? Man, this was a blast. This was a really fun time at the movies. This is why we go to the movies. This is similar to the first one in that we get this this big mystery within mystery, very complicated whodunit. But this is like turning everything up to 11 in a lot of ways. You can tell that they've got the big Netflix budget. Um, it's bigger. It's better. Like they're, It takes place in Greece on this private island. They're filming on location. There's yachts. There's boats. Uh, you know, big cast. A lot, a lot of special effects. It's way bigger than the 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 first film, but it still keeps its its core. Kind of what made Knives Out special. It it has really interesting personalities, lots of shifting alliances, complicated personalities. You don't. Everyone's a red herring. There, there's there's no way for you to guess what's going on. And like I said, there's mysteries within <laughs> mysteries within mysteries, and it's all a really great time at the movies. Yes, uh, I I feel really pleased to be able to say on this show, Ryan Johnson has done it again. Um, again, uh, he <laughs> I he had big shoes to fill uh, with his own with his own shoes uh, with with Knives Out being as good as it was. He wrote it and directed it. He wrote and directed this feature. And after Knives Out came out, Netflix paid him and his uh, co-producer uh, half a billion dollars for the rights to their next two Knives Out movies. Uh, this is the first of those. He's not started writing three yet. He said he's still kind of working on it and, and gesta- gestating and want to see how this was received. Uh, and while it's not fully out yet, it's being received very well. Uh, Glass Onion is, just like Andy said, a multi-layered, multifaceted mystery. Uh, how appropriate for its title, right? Uh, Glass Onion, as it were. Uh, it is good stuff it's good stuff man i i i think it's probably just as good as knives out i've seen some people say it's better i've seen some people say it's worse and it does a really good job of breaking away from the format of knives out but still having like the perfect spirit of what knives out was especially with 
Benoit Blanc at the center returning uh, Daniel Craig. Uh, it reminded me of like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in that like it's very different from Raiders, but like it's totally an Indiana Jones movie. And then when they slide into Last Crusade, you get a return to a Raiders format and it feels really fresh and good. That's what this feels like. Like it is totally knives out and it's good stuff, man. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Our whole cast is great. Everybody's good. And the thing that works really well here is it's a smaller ensemble cast than Knives Out featured. Knives Out featured a bigger family, couples, a couple siblings in there, a couple kiddos. Uh, This is much smaller. There's less characters uh, that you're dealing with in your main mystery. Um, But that gives everybody more time to shine, which is perfect because everybody's really well cast and everybody's a lot of fun. Like I I enjoyed everybody in this movie. Yeah, that reminds me of a line from the first movie when he says that not the what the Nazi child said. Um, yeah, so oh, I, yeah. that's cast is a good place it's to start. It's a great room. place to start. We we have Ed, Edward Norton playing the eccentric billionaire, which is very much modeled off off Elon Musk, uh, very blatantly. Uh, we we have uh, Janelle Monet who who plays. Uh, all these characters are kind of connected in youth and are are still connected in kind of. Uh, adulthood as well. Catherine Hahn plays this governor, senator, uh, political figure. Um, Leslie Odom Jr. is a a scientist who works for for Miles. Kate Hudson is uh, kind of an influencer person. Again, connected. Dave Bautista is a a, a great stand-in for Joe Rogan. uh and, and that kind of, he he's like, <laughs> like a, a street Tate. yeah yeah he's like he's like a twitch streamer and like you know he always has his he has like a gun holster and his speedo for his pistol uh his, and his girlfriend whiskey played by madeline klein uh jessica henwick is the she's assistant to birdie tried to try trying to keep her off twitter trying to keep her from getting herself uh canceled and uh, and then a bunch, a slew of cameos, which I, I'm not going to spoil here, but that's kind of our, our main class. And it, it's kind of a who's who of people who are very successful, but they are largely dependent on Edward Norton's Miles Braun for their success. And because of that, he kind of has leverage over all of them and kind of has all of them under his thumb in in a certain way. Because he, you know, he, he might be this wealthy, super rich man, but he's... You know, like he has PR disasters and some other things that he needs some of their help on. And of course, we have the great Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, who's uh, inadvertently a- ends up on the <laughs> on the island to uh, take take place in the uh, um, this great murder mystery for the weekend. Craig is so delightful in this movie as Blanc. Like he he's really having a good time on screen, and like it. I don't know how he manages to get that Southern drawl down so good, but like it totally works. Like the lights come up and I'm watching it with Christine who has not seen any recent bond movies. And she's like, man, Craig is so good. And it's a completely different character, like and role and performance, but still this like leading charismatic individual in an entirely different way. Like really fantastic work. Another thing I really liked about this movie it really helps it set apart from Knives Out is its setting. Knives Out is distinctly a fall movie. People were saying it was great for November, right? It's cozy sweaters and roaring fires and a big forest and this big mansion and 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 uh, you know fog and and fall and fallen leaves and 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 it's and that's exactly what it is, right? People are eating bowls of soup and drinking coffee. It's a whole thing. This, however, is uniquely set in Greece, and it is so sunny. Oh, my God. Like, this is the most summer Knives Out movie I think we're going to get. And it's funny because I don't even actually think it takes place in summer. Uh, It is distinctly 2020, though, and I think that's important to note. Um, Knives Out is a movie about uh, old money and, like, people, the upper crust of society who have been there a long time and have, have, have been there for years. Glass Onion is about new money and influencers on the internet and people who are actively involved in change and like undertaking, you know, society going in a different direction. And it's amazing that Johnson manages to like skewer both of these in these movies (laughs) very well. Uh, Blanc is a, a world renowned detective, but he is not the upper crust of society. And without a central character like we had in knives out to kind of ground us. You'd think that might be lost, 
but Johnson's got a really clever way of writing through that. And you'll have to see it when you see the film, but I was, I was really pleased with the structure of it. Right. What's interesting is that in the, in the first movie, the mystery starts right away. The murder happens, right. Has already happened. I think when we come up upon the house in this one, we have a lot more setup with our characters. We're establishing our characters and their relationships to each other and to Edward Norton's character, and uh, the the murder mystery doesn't really start till about halfway through, which I thought was was really interesting. But it, it does uh, still r- really work, I think. Yeah, I, I was really pleased with it all around. I, I've been glad to see other people say the same. Um, I I don't want to say much more without treading the spoiler ter- territory. And I don't think this is the kind of movie you want to do that with, especially a whodunit. But it is interesting. This is out a month ahead of when it comes out for everybody else, right? Wouldn't Netflix be afraid the mystery might get spoiled? I mean, wouldn't they be concerned? Uh, people might, you know, hear, hear a cross review. I, I, I love the confidence like they had to put this in theaters because fundamentally it is a theatrical movie. Like Andy said, it's so much shot on location. Like com- compared to something like freaking Thor, like I, there, I, there's hardly any green screen that I noticed in this film. If it's there, it's really sneaky, just like Knives Out. Like it's very effective stuff. Um, I wish this was in theaters longer. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, well, luckily it's one of those movies. It's a mystery movie, but it doesn't depend on the revelations to to make the movie. That that makes for a real weak premise a lot of times. It's just it's a it's a lot of fun along the way. There's a number of mysteries uh, to be solved, but it's just, it's fun. The characters are so unique. Uh, like it's, it's so cinematic and, you know, I've actually had it compared to a Bond movie because you're almost like on this villain's lair situation yeah. in, uh, in, in, in Greece. And, and, and it's funny that it's just, it's so enjoyable that it works and it doesn't depend solely on the revelations. No, and it's done well because of Johnson's, like, not only ability to write something compelling based on older mysteries, people have been plucking out Agatha Christie references in, in the story here. Um, they, they're there, for sure. But also, like, his ability to make compelling scenes uh, behind the camera. Um, he directs some sequences so well in this. Like, uh, Tarantino likes to say that suspension is like pulling a rubber band on screen and just pulling it tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And everybody knows it's going to snap, but that feeling of suspense of waiting for that thing to finally snap, uh, that's what makes good suspense. And Johnson has got that so perfect here. Some of the editing in this movie is so sharp. He's got sequences that are tributes to Hitchcock. He's got sequences that are (laughs) radically new ideas. Um, really, really clever work. And, and I'm so pleased to say that just like knives out, like it feels so good to watch a really smart movie in theaters, you know, um, especially one that's going to become a Netflix. And hopefully I can recommend to everybody, uh, when it actually comes out in December, <laughs> I hope I can, hope I can watch this again with my parents, you know, like it's a, it's a great time at the movies. It's really good stuff. Yeah. It, it's, it's so much fun and it's, Again, it, it's so cinematic, and you see, like, oh, this is such a master behind the camera. There's, you know, it's telling an interesting, engaging story, but it's also telling it in an interesting and engaging way and really putting that Netflix budget uh, to use. Um, one thing I want to talk about, there's a lot of humor in this movie, just like in the first one, but there's a lot of kind of slapstick comedy, and it reminds me of, like, actually The Last Jedi, and I think this is just uh, Ryan Johnson. He's... He likes like silly slapstick comedy. And that's part of the reason he, he puts it in The Last Jedi. And it, that's a lot of reason I think people don't like it because they don't, you know, Star Wars is serious. He can't have, it can't have slapstick, but <laughs> right. he doesn't care. And he put right. it in there and he puts it in, in this movie as, as well. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. Like nobody liked Luke, Luke Skywalker throwing the, throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder, but like the visual comedy of him doing it is particularly funny. I think Johnson really does appreciate that, which is funny because like a lot of his a lot of his writing is so complex. You wouldn't think he'd be so charmed by by such a simple gag, but he seems to go for it, and it's present here too. And I think he's able to he's been able to refine that and control it better. And I think it's better comedy for it. Like there's some really good sequences in here. Um, there's some that are baffling, and it's not until later when you realize, oh, all the pieces are clicking into place. Uh, Glass Onion's good stuff. Uh, any other thoughts for recommendations, Andy? I wanted to talk real quick about themes. Uh, similar to the first one, this Ooh. this is a kind of a cr- critique of 
of the wealthy class, but not, but in a more complex and nuanced way. It's more about like kind of this uh, unadulterated worship we sometimes have to like tech billionaires like like Elon Musk or people who just happen to be holding the purse. And all the characters, while they're technically the friends, they're all very very dependent on uh, Miles Braun, Edward Norton's character, and, and then you have people like Peg, uh, Jessica Henwick's character, who's then de- dependent in turn by the influencer she works for, uh, Birdie, Kate Hudson character. So there's this very complex critique on kind of the worship of the wealthy class and the kind of techno elite. Yeah, I, I think that stuff is effective and standing out from its from the from its predecessor, Knives Out. Because it's swinging at a different piece of like the, the the upper crust of society, and also it would be really easy to lean on like your lead being basically a hired hand again, right? Like somebody who is, um, you know, hired to to help out these people, like uh, Marta is played by Anna Armas and Knives Out, um, but it didn't quite go there. Like uh, uh, that's not quite what Glass Onion has in mind, and I think like. It's it's little differences are what helps it stand so so far apart from Knives Out while also being like such a spiritual follow up. It's good stuff. I, I like I like it all around. I, I I realize I'm starting to talk back on myself, so I'll I'll move on. But any other thoughts, Andy? I'm ready. Uh, Andy, would you recommend Glass Onion Knives Out Mystery? Absolutely. It's a whole lot of fun. It's a brand new mystery. It's turned up to an 11. Like the budget is so much bigger. It's doing it on a grand scale on the, on location, real sets, real people, uh, you know, and it, it's again, a critique of the wealthy and it's on this bizarre Island, uh, almost like I said, James Bond esque lair. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's got a great cast. It's definitely one of my favorites of the year so far. Highly recommend. Uh, I'm in the same boat. Glass Onion's a ton of fun. Would recommend. I think it comes out December 23rd um, for Netflix, Netflix users. Yep. Please watch it. Yeah, like, please pl- please, watch it. It's great. Watch it Christmas Day if you're with your family and you're bored. Christmas Day is the busiest day at the movie theaters uh, nationally, uh, which means on Christmas, you're probably getting to a point where you don't really want to talk to your family for a couple hours. Save the money. Stay at home. Watch Glass Onion. It is a ton of fun. Uh, and one more thing I, I, before we move off this, I, I did want to ask Andy, I saw some people with early critiques saying this movie looked like a Netflix movie in cinematography and presentation. Like you would wholly disagree with that, right? Like I didn't yeah, see abso- that. Absolutely. Not. I, I think it's yeah, the most, it, one of the more cinematic features of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was a really, really odd critique. I, all right. Yeah. This movie does not look like a Netflix movie. It looks like a theatrical go see it. It's great. If if it if your local theater runs it at a midnight show or something, go watch it. Like it's cool. I would encourage you to check out Glass Onion, and if it's if it's possible, see it in a theater. With that, we need to move on to our next segment. Uh, Andy, you do we do we open up the segment first and then talk about how you have been talking about this a lot on on yeah, uh, yeah let's television let's and radio or uh, all right, please go ahead. It's time for the death of cinema. So Disney Strange World to lose 150 million plus in its theatrical run. Um, I actually got to do a few media spots uh, talking about this uh, very same topic and explaining why this, you know, Disney animation film is uh, such a bust, and also why a, a number of Disney's latest uh, animated features like Lightyear have just not done super well. There's a lot of reasons. There's it's kind of a perfect storm. <laughs> Uh, this is an unfamiliar property. It hasn't really been marketed well. There's five releases coming out this uh, this Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is still in, in theater, so Disney's kind of competing with itself. Uh, you have the A Tale of Two Bobs with, with uh, the switching of, of Disney's CEO from Bob Chapek to Bob Iger. A whole lot has contributed to this failing and at the box office, and so that's what we're going into. Zach, do you have any hot takes? I, dude, I have so many hot takes. Uh, I have a number of reasons why I think this movie's underperforming. Um, I, I, I want to get into them and run them by you. But first off, I, just the umbrella before I start to nitpick just a little. If Disney wanted to do well at the movies, Disney would do well at the movies. Like, 
the, 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 the reason this movie is not doing well is because Disney simply decided at some point they were not going to put in the effort. They weren't going to put their foot on the gas and they weren't going to press forward. I know so many people who don't know this movie's coming out, have not seen an ad for it, don't really recall it, thought it already came out, thought it was straight to Disney+. Plus. It is wild. And just getting people, I've been trying to get people to go see it with me because Christine wants to see it. And I said, okay, well, we'll get a group together. Even that has been like telling people for the first time. And they're like, there's a Disney movie out. Is it a li- like a live action? What, what, what's, what's the deal? Like nobody knows about this thing. Let's start there, Andy. Why? What, why do we think Disney's not pushing this? I have thoughts. Uh, what do you think? Well, there's no, I mean, Bob Chapek hates animation. <laughs> you know, he has quoted been saying adults don't <laughs> don't see animated films, and so they hasn't been the push. I mean, again, this is the studio that owns Thanksgiving. That it, this is when like Frozen, Frozen Two came out, and whether you wanted to listen <laughs> or know the music for Frozen, you know it. You knew it for so many years. It was just like you couldn't escape it. And yeah, there there wasn't a push. Uh, for it and i mean like i said i we go to the movies a lot we see a lot of trailers over and over and i i don't remember seeing a trailer for this at all i think i watched half of one on the internet it just hasn't been pushed it has a very generic title it doesn't tell you much about the property um th- there are are some thoughts that the it has a, its main character is gay and that might be hurting it as well that might be part of the reason it wasn't pushed uh those are some of the reasons Zach, what do you think? Yeah, uh, so first off, the content, right? Uh, you've got a gay lead. First time ever in a Disney movie, right? Ne- ne- I don't even know if they're the lead, but I've seen that headline a lot as a joke because Disney has premiered a lot of gay characters in movies, and there's always headlines like, it's the first time. Uh, I've heard the f- the uh, messaging in the film is pro-environment, anti-fossil fuel. I don't know. I haven't seen it, uh, but <laughs> I think Disney might've been concerned of rattling a base that is already a little, that thinks they might already be a little too woke. Uh, your leads are older. This is not a movie aimed at children, but the animation style is uniquely childish, big round eyes. Uh, it doesn't actually stand out as like something really unique, like Lightyear with a really bold art style. And it looks just kind of plain and flat. Uh, it doesn't really even stand out the way a Pixar feature traditionally would like uh turning red had a very unique art style this kind of doesn't in fact the first time i saw a teaser for strange world was in front of lightyear and i legitimately thought it was they were just using like the lightyear engine they built for like planets and lighting and light refraction to make strange world and i i would wager they did do that like odds are they pulled this out as like basically an additional we built this whole engine like to run lightyear and make it look awesome and generate planets with fog and light rays coming through let's just do that again right let's just make a little bit more off the back of that there's a chance this was supposed to be a disney plus write-off but we recently find out that bob chapik has been pushing stuff to disney channel originals to try to write off the cost of what (laughs) would be disney plus losses which is silly, by the way. We talked about this last week. You can go back and check out the episode. But Bob Chapek should know that like creating any streaming platform means you have to produce a ton of content and will cut losses the whole way down. But regardless. Uh, so missed audience, basically. You're not aiming this directly at kids. Uh, confusing messaging. Not a lot of promotion. And generally just like not a great look means as far as the content is concerned, people aren't going to be very interested in Strange World in general. Now. There's a lot of competition at the movies. Andy's right. There are like four other movies that came out this weekend. And you would think Strange World would have a place, right? But it's not uniquely like for kids. And I think that leaves families in a lurch. They don't know if they should take people to go see Strange World. Andy, why do you think Disney wasn't marketing? Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, no, you're right. This was, there were five releases this this week, uh, which is kind of crazy. But this was the only kids film. And... So it, it kind of should have cornered that market. But again, there was no, no buzz. That You, you got to get the kids excited. You, you, know, you, you hope that the kids see a trailer in some, somewhere earlier in, in the year and really want to go. And uh, it's just not, not kid-friendly enough. I think that's absolutely right. And again, like I said, Wakanda Forever is still out in theaters. And if, if, you, if you haven't seen it, you're definitely going to take the kids probably to that. And if you have seen it, well, you might see it again because maybe someone else in the family hasn't gone and it's it's a good time. Uh, so it's it's a really odd release. This probably would have done better something like in the spring or something more on its own. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why Disney didn't decide to like do more of a push for this because 
you do have to wonder, like, why wouldn't they try to push it and market it and get it going anyway? I, you know, maybe they were afraid of like rattling political sabers. Bob Chapik was ousted days before this movie premiered, so it's pretty clear that, like, leading up to the production of this thing, things have been a little testy at Disney. And it's hard to say why exactly that is, but it reminds me of how they treated Treasure Planet, an animated movie that came out just over 20 years ago from their studio. Um, they did little promotion for that movie, and then after it came out, they didn't put it on home video for years. You could not get it. It didn't go to Disney Plus right away. Like, it was not made available on VOD. Like, it was a difficult thing to see that movie for a while. Because they felt like it wasn't really aimed at kids and people weren't really going to go for it. And that was a different CEO and that was a different time. But it's a weird thing, right? It's a weird thing when a studio makes a giant movie and then functionally decides it's going to be a failure before it comes out and doesn't really do anything with it. And it turns out to be a failure. You know, they put the cart before the horse. Uh, and I'm not sure why. I don't know why. Like, I, I, I haven't seen Strange World yet. I'm planning on seeing it this week so I can talk about it next week here. But I... I I, I got to know, like, I, I, I think I need to see it next. That, that, that'll be the thing that'll really help mm -hmm. me figure this out. It's got a fine cast. Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Dennis Quaid is in this movie. I, I don't recall who else, but it's just, I don't know. It's weird. Something, that, um, something else I heard is okay. that Disney wants to always have a footprint on Thanksgiving, on the, the Thanksgiving release, and they didn't really have anything else. And so they were like, well, we have to maintain our spot. I guess for whatever reason. So they, they put this out knowing that it's probably not going to do well, but we don't want to not have an offering during Thanksgiving. Yeah, I think that's valid. Disney is big on maintaining a spot in theaters. Uh, we talked just last week about how Quentin Tarantino, uh, who has been promoting his new book, uh, has been going on a press tour and talking about Disney and the marvelization of things. And the fact is like Disney very much like wants to have a voice. And when it comes to a holiday, a big holiday, when a lot of people are going to movies, they want to be there, but they have pulled out all of the stops for holiday releases in the past. Not necessarily Thanksgiving, but look at Star Wars around Christmas. I mean, they were literally forcing theaters to run it in three or four screens or not get prints. You will not get Star Wars unless you run it our way. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy how they were running that stuff. But then when it comes to an animated feature, especially it's not aimed particularly at children, maybe more mature audiences, like something like Luca or Soul... Those movies go straight to Disney+. Plus. Inexplicably, new Pixar features, that's where they're going. And now this one comes out, and suddenly Disney can't reacquaint their audience uh, for those features to come out to the theater. And the reason they can't is because they're not promoting it. It's like, what do you want? Do you want it on Disney+, Plus, <laughs> where people are going to watch it at home, and you can do minor promotion like you did for Luca or like you did for Soul? Uh, or do you want it big like Turning Red, and you want it in or Lightyear, you want it in theaters, and people can see it, and it's a big thing? Um... That lack of direction, I think, is the kind of like thinking that those breadcrumbs get you to finding a new CEO, because um, there's some there's just some some real miscommunication there. Yeah, streaming Disney Plus has been kind of a two edged sword for them. You know, it was brilliant during the the pandemic or during the quarantine when you know everyone was stuck at home. Streaming, uh, sub streaming subscribership. Uh, rose for everyone for every streaming service uh, and it was great and but then yeah you inadvertently trained audiences to watch animation at home and to not get you know and again let's see there was soul luca turning red and then Lightyear was the first one to actually be in theaters and then it was had a kind of mediocre reception and then now so it's no surprise when now you have a new animated feature and audiences are just like no we'll stay we'll watch it in a month yeah, and like home. seeing the Disney Plus, right, and seeing that Disney Plus has been taking losses and seeing that Bob Chapek's been fudging numbers to try to make it look better. Like, you have to wonder, did you put those movies on Disney Plus because you genuinely thought that's where people wanted to see them, or were you trying to make the numbers work? Were you thinking that, oh, we'll just put the new Pixars on there and it'll way jack up subscribers, and that'll get us to a place where we need to be? Because it did jack up subscribers, but it didn't get you far enough. And now you're just deciding movies aren't going to work before they come out and you're not promoting them, you're, but you're still putting them in 4,000 theaters. I, mean, I don't get it. Like, it really doesn't make sense. Why would you, why would you go wide release, right? Right. Why not do what Glass Onion's doing and put it in theaters for yeah, two dude, weeks uh, in 600 theaters or 2,000 theaters? Like, it, it's really strange. Yeah, it, it, maybe they were hoping it would, you know, just take off, maybe have some buzz, some word of mouth, something like that. Maybe it, it catches on with the kids, but... Yeah, I mean, the, like I said, there were so many 
movies released and you either stayed home or you went to see Black Panther? <laughs> Clearly. Like, I, I really or think they are like, they're like, they're cannibalizing themselves and it's Disney competing against Disney inadvertently. That might be true. That's, that's compelling. I did forget Black Panther was the number one movie and that's a Disney movie and far be it from them to get in their own way. But it's a shame. I, I, if, if the rumors are true that Strange World has content that genuinely seems progressive, it's a bummer to me that that's not seen by more people. And it's especially a bummer that Disney doesn't really decide to get behind that when it counts. But for all I know, Strange World's bad, right? Maybe it's not a good movie. I think it's got a B cinema score, and I'm planning on seeing it this next week for maybe a micro-review on the show if I do actually get to watch it. Uh, of course, we'll talk about it. But we should probably move on to our last film of the episode um, Andy, where can people hear interviews? You've been you've been doing TV and radio, right? I do want to mention that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I did. Stuff. I did a TV. I had to do a TV interview this morning at six thirty in the morning, and then I did a handful of radio uh, in the morning and or around noon, and one yesterday actually. Um, those are going to be available on our our website, um, slash interviews I'll be posting the audio and video there if I can bring myself to <laughs> to watch it. Again, right. uh, a, a lot of fun. Um, I'm way more confident on this show than I am when I'm on Get on the News. Like I started wow. fumbling, fumbling around. Of course. Uh, yeah, n- n- nothing but love for Oscript. Well, um, thanks for going out and representing the show. I appreciate it. If we have any new listeners here, welcome. Uh, and while you're here, uh, subscribe. Also, thanks for listening. That that goes without saying. But hey, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe. With that being said, we should move on to our last review of the episode andy's graciously agreed to take the summary on this one andy please take it away bones and all i don't want to hurt anybody famous last words so this is the latest feature from luca guadagnino who previously did the suspiria remake and also call me by your name which really put timothy chalamet on the map i think he was nominated for an oscar for that role and now we have this new kind of Thanksgiving <laughs> offering. Uh, the short version is that this is a, a cannibal love story. Uh, like I said, it stars Timothy Chalamet and also newcomer Taylor Russell, who's actually the, the lead in the film and also has appearances by uh, Mark Rylance and, uh, and Michael Stolberg. The story is Taylor Russell uh, plays Marin, who... <laughs> has kind of an, an addiction, and that is one to, to human flesh. Uh, at the beginning of the film, she is kind of abandoned by her father, who has helped her and had to move from place to place anytime there's been an incident, anytime she hasn't really been able to con- control her uh, condition. And finally, he, he just kind of, he leaves her with a tape, an audio message, some money and her birth certificate, and uh, she listens to it slowly throughout the film, and, and he tries to explain what happened, what her situation was, what her mother was like, and um, that he's kind of done everything for her that he can. He loves her. She's his child, his blood, but he can no longer kind of keep doing this nomadic lifestyle and her, you know, thirst essentially uh, is, is he can't deal with it anymore. And so she sets off on a quest to find her, her mother who lives states away. And along the way, she, uh, comes across other what they call eaters, uh, people who have the, the same desire to, to eat, eat human flesh and uh, who can kind of smell each other. And this is uh, where we meet people like uh, Mark Rylance and eventually Timothy Chalamet, where they uh, find this companionship. And it's a love story, but it's it's more about finding your people, finding your your tribe and acceptance and things like this it's, it's a it's a big metaphor for sure and this is based off the novel by uh camille DeAngelis. uh lots to say about this movie zach what'd you think so bones and all is fundamentally a uh cannibal romance road movie like that's that's fundamentally what you're getting in this movie you have two characters who are traveling and they are uh, you know, discovering things about themselves, about the world around them along the way Two two young individuals. Uh, and uniquely, like, I, 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 I don't, I don't have a lot of room to stand on this, but, but one of, one of Christine's favorite genres of book, she's a big reader as young adult. She, she, she loves the idea of like people, you know, discovering who they're going to be and finding your own identity and, and, uh, you know, re- really growing into something and bones and all is like, 
fundamentally exactly that it is it is a young adult movie uh, our characters are 18 at least one of them is uh for sure i'm not sure about the other one um but like that is almost by coincidence in the movie like they could be 17 they could be they could be 19 but like there's something uniquely like teenager about these characters <laughs> they 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 feel really young and they feel really innocent and it's funny because a character who's innocent is not also going to be somebody who eats people uh, and that is like the crutch of of the challenge of these characters in Bones and All. Uh, Luca Guadagnino, director, says uh, this movie is a romance first, and it is a cannibal horror movie second, and it's wholeheartedly true. Like the the thing that that carries this movie is fundamentally the relationship between uh, Marin and Lee, our, our two leads. Uh, the cannibal thing is not a coincidence by by chance. Like that's not really what it is, but it's. It's a hurdle they struggle with. It's a problem. Really, it's an addiction. Like, And like two teens that are addicted to drugs or alcohol or something much more sinister, um, they have to figure out who they are Like, while the world rejects them. <laughs> while everybody says, you can't do this and this is wrong. Uh, and they're just they're driven to it. They're, they're impulsive it, even. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a metaphor stand-in for marginalized populations. You know, and you could read it as a you know just people on on the edges of society like you said uh people struggling with addition people struggling with with homelessness uh trans and and the gay community as well there's because one one thing this movie is about is family like from fast and furious uh it's about finding your people and finding people that that accept you and uh early on um, when Marin is first setting off across the the country, she comes across Mark Rylance's Sully, who's also an eater, and he he's kind of like a father figure and takes you know kind of takes her under his wing and teaches her stuff. He's he's like he teaches her how to how to use her nose, how to smell. He's like you can smell certain things in the air. You can tell when when someone's maybe about to die. You can smell another eater, um, you know, uh, miles away. That uh, this sort of th- Thing. and he desperately is desperately lonely and he he really wants to kind of team up with her but he's super crazy creepy and she's definitely not <laughs> not feeling it um but that's what a lot of the movie is about is it's about finding the people that accept you people that you can bond with and and we meet characters that have succeeded or not succeeded at doing that kind of throughout the film and that's what again family and companionship is, is a big theme yeah. And then on top of that, your characters have to wrestle with like this horrible thing they're doing. Right. Uh, the cannibalism is of course a feature of this movie and it is uh <laughs> grisly. Oh boy. Like when, when it happens, there's some sequences in here that are really horrifying. Uh, Guadagnino formerly did Suspiria, uh, the remake and that movie is equally horrifying and it's, it's gory nature, uh, a hard R there and a hard R here. Um, but our characters like are like struggling with this and, and some characters accept it differently, right? Mark Rylance is Sully is somebody who like totally accepts what he is and who he is. And this is, this is how he do Uh really, really great character silhouette on him, by the way, he wears like a fedora with a feather and he's got like a million pins and this like high pitched kind of voice. Great. It's work. like a carnival great work from yeah. Rylance. Yes. Yeah. Like really, really great work, really creepy kind of weird individual. You can't really get a read on. Um, but the other characters like Marin don't want to be this way and hate that they are this way. And it's, it's, it's really unique when she meets Lee, Timothy Chalamet uh, played fantastically again, of course, Chalamet can't miss man can't miss. Um, Lee is somebody who more has gotten past the stage of where she is and accepts who he is and, and really kind of thinks he has control of it. And it's not until, uh, kind of the end of our first act when they meet another set of eaters and they explain to them quite bluntly, like you, you think you, you think you have this problem under your thumb and you don't like you, this, this thing is ruling your life. It, it is, it is it, it fundamentally did, like the can, the, the urge to eat human flesh is driving every decision they make, like whether they, whether they know it or not. Mm-hmm. And eventually like they have to give in like, but like vampires, right? Like they, they have to, they have to feed. Um, yeah. And that is but, where you get some really cool, really cool sequences. Yeah. That's one thing we learned is that n- the hunger increases as they get older. You know, uh, Marin is just turned 18, whereas um, Mark Rylance's character is in his, you know, 60s, 70s. 
and they meet older ones. Uh, another thing that this movie's about is, is memory as it re- relates to family. Uh, you know, um, Marin has this, she, she's trying to find her mother. She has this tape, cassette tape. Uh, this takes place in the eighties, by the way, uh, that her, her father gave her and and she has his voice and she has kind of a, a loose chronicle of what's happened. And, but, but there's things like tapes, uh, handwritten notes, her birth certificate. Mark Rylance is a very creepy way of remembering the people he, he's eaten, which I won't spoil here. Um, Timothy Chalamet has kind of an estranged family and a sister who desperately wants him to be home, but he can't really be be home too much. But again, that ties into to family memory, remembering who we are, what what we came from, where where we're going. It, it's really brilliant to see the, these little strong the thematic elements kind of sprinkled throughout the movie. Really charming settings uh, in Bones and All as well. A lot, a lot of it's a road movie, but it was really nice to see that. Most of it takes place in the American Midwest. You're looking at what Iowa, Nevada, Ohio. Like you're you're really getting out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and when you roll the credits, uh, you get to see that they did actually go film in these locations. Like, and it looks great. Like lots of lots of big landscapes. They have this old truck that there's an old rickety pickup that they kind of drive around in. And um, you get some really charming sequences of these two just kind of like growing to get to know each other and uh, also you know learning how to feed and how to how to how to work the system and find victims and that stuff is terrifying yeah but it's terrifying from afar you you get to hold it at arm's length because the monsters are our main characters and you know that when they're not being these people they are uniquely innocent and they are uniquely um yeah they they, they stand away from what they're doing Mar- Marin at one point d- declares that well i'm never gonna do it again and lee's like sure you're not you know, like this, this is, this is why we're out here in the middle of nowhere. This is, these are the characters we are. Like, I was really impressed at the depth that comes out of such a simple idea, right? Cannibal love story road movie. Like it's, it sounds like, like, uh, like any other road movie, but, but it, it goes further. And like, that's really impressive with two, two actors who are really young, um, and a script based on a book. Yeah, absolutely. Is this, I I I found it really moving and and compelling. It's not, you know, the the romance of the year or of the decade or or anything of that. But it's I I think it's it's a step up in film in in discipline mostly for for Guadagnino because Spirit was is maybe a little overly long. It's about it's two hours forty minutes. It's trying to take on something as complex as the Holocaust in, in its background and its its themes. This seems toned down. It, it seems more simple and it it's but it it's better in a lot of ways. It's more efficient, it's more disciplined, the story's uh much more cohesive. And man, it is creepy. Like as as a piece of horror, uh I mean I, I read about <laughs> I read about there being a lot of walkouts in in some people's screenings and I can absolutely see where that might happen. Um but it, it doesn't it it doesn't have like a j- jump scare. It it's not that kind of horror movie. It's it's about mood. It's about creepiness. It's about untrustworthiness because all these all these eaters are kind of drifters, and you don't you don't really know who you can and can can't trust. And and even Mark Rylance is Sully. Uh, he he does he is a character who is helping our our protagonist. But man, you you just don't know if if this guy's if he's gonna stab you in the back back or not. Yeah, like with, with any with any small feature, like you can look at the cast list and see, you know, usually your top few uh, players and realize hmm, these players, these people probably have pretty large parts. Um, and I don't think there are any small parts in in Bones Doll, except for a couple of 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 uh, quick, small, actually smaller parts. Uh, Michael Stuhlbarg is is really effective in the scenes he's in, but he was totally on set for like a day, like easy. And also uh, a surprise appearance, very small, from uh, director David Gordon Green of the, yes. the recent Halloween movies. Uh, that was really odd. His character named Brad. Keep an eye out for him. But otherwise, like, Bones and All is a really good time for for what it is. It's it's a slower movie. It, 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 you know, it settles at a certain level of energy that is not, like, excitement roller coaster at the movies. But I think it's really sharp. I, I would expect it for streaming to show up on something like HBO. You know, your, your, your premiere streaming service is where I would hope this turns out. Um, but I'm looking forward to people being able to see this more. Uh, it's in theaters. Uh, any, any other thoughts for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Bones and All? 
I would with a lot of caveats. Definitely if you're a fan of horror and of uh, Guadagnino's previous work, if you've seen Suspiria, that movie gets pretty gory as well. This has a lot of real intense scenes. Uh, like I said, there were some walkouts. But if you can stomach the, the horror, pun intended, uh, I would definitely recommend it. it. It's it's a deep film about family, about memory, about a- addiction, about finding our people, about finding companionship, brotherhood, sisterhood, these kinds of things on the, kind of the margins of, of society. Yeah, I think Andy's totally right. Like this movie is a movie about people who are uh, the weird ones, right? Like the people on the outside. And I think if you're the kind of person who's interested in this movie and you go see it, you might find a unique kinship in the theater with the people you're seeing on screen, not because they're cannibals, but because like they too are unique in a way that that the people going to see this flick are like you you have a i don't know you have a morbid curiosity a, a unique interest to see just what's going on in Luca Guadagnino's bones and all and I'm pleased to say like I think if you get there if you buy the ticket and you take the ride you're going to enjoy what's happening here it's different it's unique it's slower it's thoughtful uh can't wait to see what he does next that's Bones and All. And that's off script. Episode 198. Oh, my God. Andy, we got two episodes till episode 200. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> One episode to start planning fast. it. I know. Uh, we, what, what are we watching next week? I, I was just looking at the calendar. I was thinking, well, we were talking about this before, but it's a slow week. Maybe it's worth taking a week off and then coming back for two shows in December, hitting episode 200, wrapping for the holiday, and then we come out strong with 201 in January. That's, that's a real possibility. That's right. We, we're going to start talking about our top 10 lists as well, even though there's like 10 are, Oscar yeah. films that have to come out in the next month. <laughs> <laughs> well, what we're, what we're going to be watching, uh, or what's coming out at least next week, is uh, Violent Night, the uh, kind of uh, Christmas action <laughs> movie starring uh, Stranger Things' David Har- Harbour as uh, the titular Santa Claus. Uh, that looks like a lot of fun. I'm actually pretty... Uh, pretty excited to see that. Um, and the following week, December 9th, uh, we have some big, um, big Oscar releases. We have The Whales starring Brendan Fraser and Empire of Light, the Sam Mendes film, which about film and, and cinema, which also stars Olivia Coleman. Both of those look really good. The Whale has got some like hyper, hyper, like unbelievable amount of hype train buzz. And we've seen like virtually nothing. Like the the trailer that came out just is basically tells you who's in the movie, so I don't know what to think. Yeah, uh, I'm excited for I'm mildly excited for Violent Night. I guess I feel like Violent Night is only in theaters because a movie like Deadpool like walked, so this could run because it's so goofy. But like maybe it'll be a great time. I don't know. It's from the people who made Nobody, which was also in similar spiritual tone. I think uh, I I'm excited about um. God, Andy, I, I've had a total lapse the, in thought. What are the other the whale? talking about? The whale. The whale and I, I'm excited Light. about the whale, but I'm I'm low-key afraid the whale is horrifically fat phobic. Like I've I've heard a couple things about that, and I'm like, maybe that's the reason they're not putting anything out. Because like the second they put out footage, people are gonna pick it apart and pull it out of context and be like, this is horrible. But I have no idea. Empire of Light I actually saw a new trailer for, I think might be really good stuff. I, I'm I'm looking forward to that more than I am the Fablemans, another movie kind of about mm-hmm. movies. Uh, but ultimately about family, but I wouldn't know because I haven't seen it. And I was going to say, and that will lead us up to the big, big mega release of Avatar The Way of Water on December 16th. We'll probably just do, that could be episode 200. Just by itself? Oh, man. That might be a big week of the movie. It's, it's three, uh, if, three hours, man. Oh, man, if you want to hear episode 200 or episode 199, next week's show, whatever we got going on, the best way you can do that here on Offscript is subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you just hit that little subscribe button off to the side of the podcast window where you're listening to this right now. Uh, that'll get new new episodes of Offscript delivered straight to your phone every single week. You can do it on iTunes, Google, Spotify, iHeartMedia, any of the podcast platforms we're on. You can follow us on Facebook where we live stream our show every Tuesday around 5 p.m. CST. You can follow us on YouTube where we upload our live stream shortly thereafter. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on all the usual social media places. You can follow us there. But the best way to keep up is subscribe. And hey, if you want to see those interviews Andy's been doing, because those are a real thing, uh, you can check, go check out our website, Oscar Film Review. Dot com. I got to go see him myself. I don't think Andy's got him up yet because, again, 
And, and to be fair, when you go on TV, you want to get a little time to breathe before you check out that footage and be hypercritical of yourself. But I'm sure you're fine. I, I bet it. I bet it comes off. It's amazing how good. much I, I can ramble on our show, and then when you yeah. get me on camera, and I'm like, uh, 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 uh. no pressure, struggling, no pressure, struggling. You're doing great. Hey, I I appreciate you going out there and repping the brand. Thank you. Uh, and uh, if you want to send us any correspondence. You can email us directly, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. You can comment in all the usual places. You could tweet at us. That's a great way to go. But, you know, that's a, a special way to do it. And uh, I think that wraps episode 198. Good Lord, we're coming up on 200 fast. 200 episodes of Offscript. Where have I been? Longest running podcast I've ever been a part of, for sure. Hands down. <laughs> wow. Mm. Five years this, uh, this month. Yeah, I know. And we got top 10. Maybe we'll do Avatar in top 10. I don't know. That's a good one. We'll that sounds like a show. That's that that sounds like an episode. By God, that sounds like a great time. All right. Well, from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.